Well, good morning, Dorisville. It is good to be back with you today. Thank you so much for coming out to the house of the Lord. And we do start a new series today entitled Life Apps. Life Apps. And I said, you know, given the complexity of our congregation, perhaps I should explain a little bit what an app is. And some of the younger churches, everybody kind of knows that. Now, this is my, this is my phone. And this is a Droid X, and I know you can't see it very well, but this has one of the largest screens on it that you can buy. And uh, this, this phone, when this phone came out, it was so monumental, it was like a life-changing experience. Um, you remember when, when, like, Jesus said to Peter, you know, you've been called Simon, but now I'm going to call you Peter? And do you remember when, when, like, for instance, when God said, your name is Abram, but from now on you'll be called Abraham? When the Droid X came out... Then there's a phone call to Apple. And it said, you've been called the iPhone, but from now on you'll be called the droid wannabe. <laughs> no, but it was really incredible. You know, back in the good old days when phones came out, it, it made phone calls. And that was all it did. And then they started coming to these things called smartphones. And iPhone certainly is at the top of the pile. That's a bunch of kills me to say that. But, but they came out with things called apps. And, and there are literally apps to do it. It's called application. And there's applications to do everything you want to do. For instance, I've got one on my phone here that turns my phone into a, a level. It literally is. You can place this thing on a board and use it like a level. Um, I use this as my GPS in my car. It will play music. Um, it will do just literally anything I want it to do. It's incredible. And hence, the power of the phone is not the phone. It is the application's that are on the phone. And so what we want to do the next several weeks is we want to talk about life apps, that is, applications from the Bible that can help us do life. So we're going to take the Bibles, please, and turn to the book of James, the book of James. And again, we've got today's sermon, and over the next six weeks after this, after we bring end up on Labor Day, is we're going to look at six areas of our lives that the Bible speaks to that can help us do life better. Now, now, let me say from the onset is that the applications that we're going to study are directed toward Christians. And certainly, if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we want you to come, and you're welcome to pick and choose what you can. But the bottom line is, the applications we're going to talk about really pertain to believers. In fact, that's something I want to just pause and talk about in just a moment. See, we often get confused. But every time that God has given rules and ways to do life, it's been directed toward people who have a relationship with him. For instance, in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. You know, Moses didn't come down from the mountain and go, Thou shalt not, to all the world, to all peoples, thou shalt not. The Ten Commandments were given to a very specific group of people called the Israelites, and they were in covenant relationship with God. And hence, the Bible today is a book given to the people of God. You notice all the letters uh, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Philippi. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he was talking to those interested in following him. So the word of God is given to us as believers. Now, there's really a couple reasons why that's really important. Because what we often do, and because we live in a Judeo-Christian nation where, where we kind of adopted the, the Bible as some of our, our big mores, our social mores in life. And hence, you know, 50 years a year, years go back, and if you committed adultery, it was like, <gasps> you know, or if you got divorced, <gasps> but now the social mores have changed, and people say, oh, you got divorced, yeah, well, everybody does that. Or you had a affair, oh, yeah, everybody does that. 
But, but the Word of God stands and says those things are wrong. Okay? But what we do as Christians, we often look at our lost neighbor and see him do something. And we look at the Bible to a lost neighbor and go, you know, you're not doing this very well. And we forget that the book was given to believers and not lost people. The reason lost people don't do it well is because the book wasn't written to them. They don't have a relationship with God. And hence, it's like foreign material to them. It's like trying to read Greek. But when they become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, they start having aha moments in the Word of God. But here's, you got you to get this. When we do that to the neighbors, when we do that to our friends who don't know Jesus, it sounds like we're judging them. And we don't want to send the message that we're better than you and we're judging them. So it would be much, you just need to understand that think about the word, it's written to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Great advice. If your neighbor is struggling in marriage, tell them about what the Bible says about that. But when they fail in that area, please understand it's not written to them. It may help them, but it's not written to them, it's written to us. And that kind of leads to the second big point. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're supposed to do this stuff. For the lost person, it's kind of like, well, here's some good stuff for you. You have a relationship with God. It may help you. But for us, we're supposed to do it. We are believers in God and have a relationship with God. And so we should be doing what the Word of God says. And that's the huge point. Now, I need to tell you this. This is, to me, this was a real aha moment. If you've heard me preach over the last few weeks, you know, as a pastor, I look at our lives and I look at the struggles we have. And I see the signs are gone. The chain train wreck signs and all those different things. And as a pastor, I go, well, you know, why is this happening? And in my own life, too, why is this happening? And I know sometimes, you know, it's just disobedience. Sometimes we know exactly what the Word of God says. And we simply say, oh, that'd be a no. That'd be a no. And, and then sometimes I really think it's ignorance. I think sometimes we don't have full knowledge of the Word of God. And because we have full knowledge, we make a bad choice. And hopefully somebody will say, well, this is what the Word says. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm a new believer. I didn't understand that. Or I never heard that. But then there was something that, that came to light. And I'll share just a moment. That really gave me an aha moment. And helped me understand as a pastor my own life and our life as believers. And how, listen, I've got a goal for us. I've been talking to my staff. Um, starting you know, this week, talking about 2012, what we can do to help us understand and apply the Word of God to our lives. Because I really think that's huge. So, there are two people in the Bible who really talked about this thing called life apps, about doing, applications, everything, about doing the Word of God. And one was Jesus, you expect that, and the other was the big brother, or excuse me, the brother of Jesus, and it was James, it was Jesus' half-brother, and he looked at Jesus growing up and came to the conclusion, after the resurrection, that my half-brother Jesus is the Son of God. Now that's, you want authenticity for Jesus, when a, when a guy who lived with Jesus growing up, authenticity says, man, this, this guy is the Son of God, that's powerful. And Jesus and James are the ones who talk about this particular topic. So in James chapter 1 and verse number 21 and 22, we start out and I put the point, just do it. Just do it. Here's what he says. Therefore, now time out. Therefore, he just talks about being uh, swift to hear and slow to speak. Okay, talking about anger. Remember, though, it's written to believers in Jesus Christ. Okay, keep that thought in mind. Therefore, put away, lay down, discard, okay, all filthiness and rampant wickedness. James says, listen, the first thing you've got to do is understand is there's a holiness factor. 
And things that are filthy to God and things that are wickedness to God. I like the word rampant there, like it's running wild. These things, listen, get those out of your life. Lay those aside. This is so cool, I think, all right? The reason why is these are twin thieves. These are twin thieves. Filthiness and rampant wickedness, one, they steal the glory of God out of your life. When you're living an unholy lifestyle, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as you're living an unholy lifestyle, God gets no glory from that. I shared with a friend of mine yesterday, after I got back into town, I said, dude, listen, God, you know, God is so much more interested in you being holy than happy. God's purpose for you is to bring glory to his name. Not to just amass wealth, not just to do this or do that, but to bring glory to His name. And when we have filthiness and wickedness in our lives, it robs that. It takes away God's glory. And guess what? It takes away our peace. Twin thieves, stealing the glory of God and taking away our peace. So he says, put those things aside, those two thieves away. And watch this. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Oh, I like the imagery here. You know, with meekness, with humility. In other words, I need this. Say, I need this. I need it. It implies I just can't get along without it. Receive with meekness the implanted, the engrafted word. And talking about the word of God. The word of God. So the imagery is, engraft or implanted is, a limb, a vine, and they stick a branch in it. And that branch becomes a part of the vine. The imagery of John 15 comes to mind there. But he's saying, James is saying, the Word of God has become so much a part of us, it is part of us. The Word of God has become so much a part of us, it is a part of us. When we think, when we talk, the actions we do, our attitudes are all controlled by the Word of God. That's what James, the brother of Jesus, says. And then he says this, which is able to save your souls. The Hebrew, the Greek word there says, heal your soul. Restore your soul. Make whole your soul. So James is saying this word of God, taking away the wickedness and the, and the filthiness, and the word of God is able to make us whole and complete as believers in Jesus Christ. Now let's be candid and honest. Really, honestly, as a believer in Jesus Christ, how healed, how whole, how complete... Do you feel as a believer? And the truth be known, if we were very, very honest with ourselves and did a close examination, you'd say, you know, not really. Not really. And then we talk about why that is so. And here's what James says. But, contrast, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James says, to help you lay aside the wickedness, to help you lay aside the filthiness, Alright? To, to help you do this, you need to be doers of the Word. Doers of the Word. Simply put, when you read God's Word, it causes action in your life. When you hear God's Word, God's word it causes action in your life. It, it causes you to do something different. And I'm going to talk about it a very specific way at the end of the message. I want you to hang on and listen for that, okay? So James says... Be doers of the word. And that's before you say, well, of course, Dwayne, be doers of the word. But this was the aha moment. When I read what it said, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. What should be is that when I read the word of God, when I hear the word of God, 
when I go to Sunday school and it's taught the Word of God, it should so impact me that I do. That's what should happen. But here's what's happening. We hear and don't do. We hear and don't do. Some, somehow, and I'm not sure exactly how it's happened, although it's been going on since the synagogue, okay? We think that somehow showing up, sitting in rows, and listening to a guy scream at you for 35 minutes somehow gets us extra credit with God. That somehow coming to a building, singing some songs, listening to a guy talk for 35 minutes, staying awake most of the time, saying a prayer at the end and going home is somehow going to impact our lives and make our lives tremendously different. And guess what? That's not true. That's just not true. And I really believe the reason so many of us don't feel complete, don't feel empowered, don't have the victory that we want is because we bought into this deception that if I just go to church, that's enough. If, if, I, if I just bring my kid, I get up early in the morning and I bring my kids to church, that's enough. And it's not. Let me illustrate this way. What is this? What, what is this? This is a treadmill. So let's say I went to see Dr. Matt, and, and, and he said, you know, Dwayne, you really need to be exercising more. So I went down to Dick's Sporting Goods, and I bought myself a treadmill. So I take the treadmill, and I set it in my room, okay, plug it in, set it up, make sure it works, and there it is. Buying that treadmill, did it help me? Did it? Am I, am I healthier? Would I go by that treadmill sitting in my living room? If I go to Matt in two months, and then he weighs and does all the, the measurements that he does, and he goes, well, Dwayne, what are you doing? I bought a treadmill. Does that do anything? And the answer is no. Now, the treadmills do do something. You know, if you're, if you're a little tight on closet space, they are just really amazing coat hanger holders. See? And you get, watch this, you get some value from the treadmill. It's a very expensive coat hanger, but you get some value from it, but not life-changing value. When we come to the house of God, and we sit, and we listen, and do nothing with it, we get a little value, but not the life-changing value we're looking for. And this is the problem. I truly believe this is it. Somehow, just like it happened in a Jewish synagogue, if I go to the synagogue and offer my sacrifice, it may not change me. It started then. It's been through the ages. You know, I'll go see my priest. I'll confess all my sins. And he'll have me do a few Hail Marys. And somehow that cleans me up. You know, I, you know I'll go to God. And I'll say, God, I'm sorry. And empty my sin bucket. And then go to church and, and do that. And that's cool. It's not, guys. And the reason why is we bought the treadmill, but we've not got on the treadmill. I, this really made me stop and think. This door I stand at. If you're in a hurry to leave, I know you've got that door. But I stand at this door. And I hear these words. Good sermon, Pastor. And I'm going, what does that mean? Because me, a good sermon... Is one to the Holy Spirit that motivates me to do something. Is, is a good sermon one that's entertaining? It kept us awake. We laughed. We felt good. 
But I really think probably a good message is one that causes us, through the Holy Spirit, to get on the treadmill. To take the clothes off and to do something. You know, again, I've got pretty good insurance. But every time I go see the doctor, it's $35. Copay, up front. Want to see a doctor? Copay. Thirty-five bucks. Wouldn't it be kind of stupid to go to the doctor, let's say, once a month, and the doctor says you need to do this, 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 and this, and say, thank you, doc, and go back again and never do what he says? Save your $35. Save your $35. You go to a mechanic. You take your car to a mechanic, and the mechanic says, you need to do this, 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 and this. Okay, thank you, and you drive your car away. Save your money. Because it's in the application, it's in the doing that there is power. But we deceive ourselves into believing that if I just come to the house, my kids are going to turn out great. If I just come to the house, my marriage is going to be better. If I just come to the house, things are going to be okay. But you've got to do this stuff. That's why James said, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. And this is true too. Sometimes at the door I get this comment. Whoa, way, Son, you are all over my toes. Now what that means is we got some conviction going. Isn't it cool how sometimes when a preacher preaches, you feel guilty and you all of a sudden feel closer to God? Like it's some kind of religious experience? Oh, boy, I felt bad about that. Now, we won't do anything with that, but boy, we felt close to God because we felt guilty. Have you ever felt guilty in church? Come on. Yeah, but what do we do with that guilt? What do we do with that feeling? See, that's God's way of saying you need to do something. You need to do something. And here's what this is all about. See, I promise you, the personnel committee does not meet in, in October and say, okay, Dwayne, here, here's our your salary. If the people did something, we give you a bigger pay raise. I love you. I care about you. And I know that God has spoken my heart and said, church, and not just Doorsville. My goodness, this is an American problem. This may go beyond America. I'm telling you, God has spoken and said, Dwayne, we've got to teach the people. You've got to teach the people that it's doing, it's application that makes the difference. Not just coming to church. I honestly believe that's why so many people come to church and have tough marriages and tough parental problems. I believe that. I think that's why some people come for six months and quit. Because all of a sudden it's not working anymore. It didn't work in the first place. Felt better, felt bad. Had religious experience. All of a sudden that's not there anymore. We've got to apply the word. And James gives us this incredible illustration in verse 23 and 24. Now I called it mirror, mirror on the wall. Here it goes. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, if we come and sit in rows and feel guilty sometimes, but we don't do anything with what we hear, if we get up in the morning and read the Bible, we have a quiet time, but it never changes our lives, if we are hearers of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. James says people who hear the word of God and don't do it is like this. They look at a mirror... They see the problem and go away and forget what the problem 
is. Now, in, in these days, okay, they may have a piece of bronze, they may have a piece of tin, they had no glass mirrors. You, sometimes they look into a, a, a bucket of water and they could see themselves, but that's about as good as it got. Today, we've got glass mirrors. And can we be honest? We use them. I bet 99% of you, sometime today, stood in front of a glass mirror. And you got up this morning and you said, oh, wow. You had this moment. In fact, you know what I told you this morning? You can verify it. Now, anything about the mess? I said, Judy, I looked in the mirror and I looked old. Some of y'all asked how vacation was. It's bad when you come back from vacation and you say, I look old. I said, I look old. Okay? But here's the deal. What do we do when we look in the mirror? Oh, my goodness. We spend hours. In fact, some of you at home have a look intently mirror. You know, it's the one with the lights around it. And, and you have a little magnifying thing. You flip to like a six magnification. And you can see every pore on your face. You have a look intently mirror. And we spend time and time. And watch. We don't leave until it looks right. Ladies, until every hair in your eyebrow is plucked right and your brow, your eyelashes are curled up just right and your lipstick follows the curvature of your lips just right. Men, until we get our little clippers out and we do our ears. Well, some of you young guys don't worry about that, but believe me, it's going to happen. Okay? And, and you've got to make sure there's nothing hanging out of your nose hair-wise. You trim that up. Okay? Got the deodorant on. Put the splash. Get the gel in your hair just right. We don't leave until it's right. And the sad part is, James says most of us, we spend more time in the mirror about what doesn't matter and very little time about what really does matter. We spend more time looking in the mirror at our faces, our physical faces, than allowing God's Word to reflect into our hearts and changing us and making us what God wants to be. Now, in religious terms, it's like this. It kind of looks like this. It's like I, I, I have broccoli for supper. Okay? So I go to the mirror. I'm going to put some religious terms for you. I go to the mirror, and I look in the mirror, and I see this big clod of broccoli stuck in my front teeth. I say, man, I really need to do something about that. And walk away. So I walk into the kitchen, and Judy's there, you know, cleaning up after supper, and I'm just talking away, and, you know, getting ready to go to church because it's Wednesday night, and she looks and says, Dwayne, you've got this, like, huge pot of broccoli in your teeth. And I say, oh, Judy, would you pray for me, please? I, I really know, I really know I need to go back and get out, but, but listen, would you just pray for me? And so I get to church, okay? And, and then we have prayer time. And people come up to me, all during service, and said, you got this big green thing in your teeth. You're allowed to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll address it in just a moment. So it comes time. Anybody have a prayer request? Well, the pastor's got one tonight. You see, I've got this broccoli in my teeth. I really need your prayers. Do you think, do you think perhaps you guys could pray for me? And you want to say, pray, get the broccoli out. And I'm telling you guys, this is what we do spiritually. My marriage is a wreck. My home is a wreck. My life is a wreck. And God's word is shouting, don't just sit there and say, pray about it. Do something. Get on the treadmill. Apply the word of God. That's what he's saying. That's incredible. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, 
goes away and once forgets what kind of man he was. We're coming. And we're incredibly glad that you are. And I hope somehow you glean something. But if you want life-changing experience, you don't get it from sitting in a Sunday school class and just listening. If you want life change in your life through Jesus Christ, it doesn't happen with just listening to Dwayne or Brent or Randy or David get up here and shout at you for 35 minutes. It's going to happen when you hear the Word of God and you apply, you do what the Word of God says. Now watch this. This is cool. We move on to blessed freedom. Watch this. Watch this. Verse number 25. But the one... Who looks into the perfect law. Now, now, Paul's here. Paul's here. Paul's here. The word looks there is incredible. It's not the same word that they used in the other, the other verse. It's a different word. The one who looks into the perfect law. The idea is this. If someone walking, they stop, they bend over, and they look. That's the idea of one who looks. It's like, it's like Psalm of 1 and 3. But in the perfect law, he meditates day and night. He pauses, he stops, and he looks and stares at it. And notice what he's staring at. The perfect law. Once again, we are so blessed to have this book. Come on, Baptist. We are so blessed to have this book. This is the Word of God. Now, I'm talking about believers. If you're a non-believer, you're probably saying, well, I don't believe that. Okay, we're not talking to you really this morning. I'm talking to believers. This is the Word of God. It's perfect. It's something you can trust. Look into the perfect law. So the one who stops, bends over, and stares into the perfect law, and I like the ESV because it pauses and says, comma, the law of liberty. And about this time you go, whoa, Dwayne, whoa, 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 whoa. That's my pushback. That's my problem. You see, because if I do what the Bible says, it's bondage. I feel so restricted. I feel like I can't do anything. Well, let's pause and think about that. Let's take money. Let's take finances. You know, the Bible has some incredible teachings. About money. It teaches that the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, I wish I could tell you this morning that my parents taught me the value of saving money. I was raised in a home where we got the daily calls from the credit people. It's your mama, day home. Tell them at home. Tell them at home. I didn't get the value of saving them from my parents. I wish I could tell you that my mom and dad taught me about tithing. The truth of it is, we picked it up as a couple. In fact, G brought up and said, look, when we get married, we need to tithe. I said, okay. That's cool. Okay? But I'm, listen to me. Listen to me. I'm telling you that what may have seemed restricted in the beginning has resulted in liberty. What was seemed restrictive has resulted in liberty. When I was making $12,000 a year... It wasn't too hard to give, you know, $1,000 a month, $250 a week, whatever it was. It, it didn't seem that hard. Okay, $25 a week. I'm sorry, $25 a week. It didn't seem that hard. All right? But now I make a lot more than that. But I want to tell you, it doesn't feel restrictive. You know why? There's freedom. 
I don't have bill call, bill people calling me going, when you'll make the payment. Some of you today who have said, I've got freedom to do what I want with my money, okay? And you make a lot more money than I do, and you feel bondage. Because you've got two car payments, you've got a house payment, you've got this payment, you've got that payment, and this payment. And listen, there's no freedom. But the Word of God says, whoa, 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 time out. Put me first, God says. Be, be wise with your money. And you're going to find freedom that you're looking for. What about integrity? What about integrity? You ever told lie before? You know, lies are weird. I, I, keep, I keep throwing this illustration out because I'm finding out that, that, that this is a southern thing or a poor thing. I'm not sure which one. I asked y'all one day, how many of y'all ever had tripe for supper? How many of y'all know what tripe is? And I see y'all do. It's cow stomach. And we ate cow stomach. And not because it was a delicacy either. Mom would take that stuff and fry it up in you know, little chunks, little patties. We'd, we'd cut it up. She'd fry it up. And one thing cool about tripe, you didn't have to have a bunch. Because you chewed it forever. In fact, in fact, the more you chewed it, the bigger it got. You just needed one little plug for every mouth. And you're good for the night. Okay? Do you know lies are that way? Lies are that way. Lies, they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And man, God says, the Bible says, God hates liars. It says that, that the devil, his natural language is lying. So, but, but what, what, if, what if you practice truth? You know, here, again, got caught a lie? You wouldn't have to worry about that. There's freedom in speaking the truth. Bondage comes from telling lies. I know we've probably talked enough about sex in the sermon series to last a whole lifetime. But think about how different your life would be if you practice sexual purity. They think of freedom there. No worrying, what if my wife finds out? What if my mom and dad finds out? What if I get pregnant? There's none of that. There's not bondage in following God, God's Word. There's freedom. Forgiveness. Now, that's not very intuitive, I know. You know, forgive. I, I will forgive. Andy Stanley, in a sermon he preached on this topic, talked about, you know, talked about, you know, forgiveness is a triple whammy. You know, you know first, first, you know, one, I'm, I'm supposed to forgive them. Then God says, I've got to forgive them. So it's like God gets me, they get, they get all free, then I get me and God gets me. Have you ever had unforgiveness in your heart? Come on, some of y'all did. Some of you are carrying a chunk of unforgiveness about the size of Texas. You wake up in the middle of the night and think about that person, and it's been years. You see that person at the mall. Hopefully you don't see him at church, but it's possible. And something wells up inside of you. Hey, guess what? That's not freedom. That's bondage. And, and James says, man, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, okay, being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he's blessed in what he does. James says, if you look into this and do this, there's freedom. And you're blessed in what you do. And as your pastor, that's what I want. Can I just be selfish? As a believer, and that's what I want for me. I want this blessed life. I want the freedom that's found in doing 
the word of God. And one reason I chose ESD is because that word perseveres. Because what happens, what I find out, you know, we'll, we'll apply the word of God for a short season until it's, you know, until it's convenient or while it's a hot topic, and then we'll drift away from it. James says, no, 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 no. This isn't, get on the, listen, how many of y'all have ever exercised once a month? Isn't it horrible? You get on the treadmill, oh, I'm dying, oh, I'm dying, I'm not going to do that again. So, you know, a month later, oh, I'm dying, oh, I'm dying. And then, 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 you decide to do it every day. And about the ninth day, all of a sudden you go, hey, wait a minute, this isn't too bad. Doing the Word of God's that way. Don't do it spotty. Do it as a lifestyle. And you will be blessed. I'm telling you guys, this is huge. And as a pastor, now I'm going to talk with Dave, and I'm going to talk with Brent, and, and we'll be talking to Sunday school teachers. How can we help you and us apply the Word of God? So, 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 it makes a difference. It makes a life-changing difference. We go from using the treadmill as a coat hanger to using it as a life-changing experience, resulting in better parenting, stronger marriages, Happier in God's sense lives. Now, Jesus is the other person that spoke about this. At the close of the Sermon on the Mount, and I'll just start, it's, it's on your sermon sheet, but I'll, I'll just tell it to you. He said, Okay, guys, here, here, here. The greatest sermon he ever preached. Here, here's what you need to know a person who hears the Word of God and does it is like a man. Who built a house. And he built, he built the house on a rock. Time out. That's hard, isn't it? That means getting the chisel out and chisel away and getting it level and flat. And much easier to dig sand than chisel rocks. Whoever takes it is like a man who builds a house on a rock. And oh, the storms came. And the wind blew. And the rain came down. And the rock stood firm. But then he says this. He says, likewise, a person who hears the word of God, who sits in rows but really does nothing with it, who hears the word of God and does not do it, is like a man who built his house on sand. Was it easier? In the intro, I was, it was. Easier than the rain came and the flood came and the wind blew and the house fell. And great was the fall or the collapse So Jesus said, Jesus said, you got to do this stuff. It's not enough, you know, whether it's Wednesday night, Tuesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, it's not just enough to get around the table and say, we're going to study the Word of God. To what end? Knowledge? Knowledge without action is not power. Knowledge gains power through action. Whatever we do, there's got to be knowledge and application. And doing why? Because application is everything. And my prayer for us is in the coming days, first, certainly in the next six weeks, when we talk about certain areas such as forgiveness, love, generosity, just name three, as we talk about these topics in the coming six weeks, all right, that that will change us. But not just there. That will go beyond that and change our lives. I pray that for us.
I pray for that. How's that happen, Dwayne? I knew you were going to ask that question. Because really, what does it mean to apply the Word of God? How do you do it? Well, we got a deacon. And by the way, I told someone they were wanting to know who Donnie Billman was. And I said, look for the tallest guy in the choir, and that's Donnie Billman. You need to know he wasn't in the choir today. Because somebody would walk up to Gary Three and go, I need to talk to you. <laughs> so they weren't in the, in the choir today, all right? Need to know that. But anyway, Donnie Billman one day was praying on our Saturday morning program. Here's what he said. He's talking about, I think it was his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law is not a believer. And he used this word. He said, God, would you bother him? Would you bother him about his salvation? And I wrote in my sermon notes, we need the bother factor. I think that's how we learn to apply the word of God. Because, see, we want a magic pill. Like when I go see Matt. I want Matt to give me a pill for everything. Okay? All right? We want a magic pill. Okay, God, I want to be more loving. Just zap me and make me more loving. Okay, God, I want a better marriage, so just zap my marriage. Okay, God, I want great kids. Zap my kids. And I know some parents are afraid that, but not for great kids probably. Zap them, God. Zap them. Okay? Guess what? Rarely is that the case. Rarely is that the case. I think, if I was going to say, as your pastor, what should I take away from this? I think whatever area of life you're talking about is asking God to bother you. If you've got money troubles, ask God to bother you about your money. If you've got integrity issues, ask God to bother you. If you have a lying tongue, ask God to bother you when you lie. Just bother you. And here's what you're going to find out. Here's what you're going to find out. That if you ask God to bother you, He will. And so all of a sudden you're going to feel very uncomfortable in that area of your life, wherever it is. Then watch this. We make the choice then... To start obeying God. Okay? Then, that's when God kicks in. God kicks in and says, Okay, I'm going to help you now through the power of the Holy Spirit as you make a choice to do what my word says. But just sitting there today, if your marriage is a wreck or if your finances are a wreck, you just can't say, Okay, God, just take care of it. Because I don't think you're going to get an answer to your prayer. In fact, I thought about, remember that Philippians 4.13 verse? How many of you know what Philippians 4.13 says? I can do. I thought that verse was talking about God. God does. I can do. It starts with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But it starts with I can do. I will apply. I will do the word of God. And God will strengthen me. And I can do all things. It starts with us taking a commitment and saying, God, I'm going to do it. Over the next six weeks, we're going to talk some incredible things that really apply to our lives. But it all boils down to application is everything. I'm going to make you a promise. Please come next week. We're going to talk about forgiveness. But I promise you this. If you come and you walk in that door and say, good message, Pastor, and do nothing with it, your life will not change. You will not be more forgiving. When we talk about love, go out the door and say, Brother Wayne, oh, a great message on love. But unless you apply what you hear, it will not change your life. Change comes through application. Application is everything. Would you bow your heads right there where you are?
I already shared with you that I thought this was huge. You know, I'm watching, you know, Trent come up and play the drums. You know, Trent will be heading to college in four or five years. And I know Tracy and Brent have poured Jesus in that guy's life. But the bottom line is it's going to be his choice how he lives once he leaves the household. Application will be everything. Application will be everything. How we teach our kids to apply. Not just bring them to church. Not even the son of the youth director. Choosing to apply personally is everything. It's everything. And I hope somewhere in this crowd there's several dozen people going, this is what I've been looking for. I was wondering why I came to church. I thought maybe it was Brother Dwayne's sermon. They were just by the pancake. I, I thought maybe the music wasn't good. Now, maybe, maybe, maybe we're hearing, but we're not applying, and therefore we're going, something's wrong, and it is. We're not doing. So would you come back the next six weeks? But would you come back with a Bible in your hand? Would you come back with a piece of paper and a pencil? And jot down just words. Would you come back committed to apply the word of God? Now, I need to pause. Because you may be here today, and you're not in relationship with God. And you're more than welcome to apply whatever I said today and in the coming six weeks. But my hope is, even today, my hope is that God's spoken to your heart. He's bothered you. And you're going, you know what? I thought church was enough. I thought getting religion was enough. I thought going to church was enough. And Dwayne, if I understood you correctly, it's not. And it's not. It begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that brings you into relationship with the Father. Nothing to do with going to church. Nothing to do with being a Baptist. Nothing to do with getting dumped in some water. Everything to do with believing that Jesus is the Son of God and committing to follow Him for the rest of Brother Brent will be standing down front in just a few moments. He's waiting for you to come up and say, I'd like to know Jesus Christ. And we'll be glad to share with you our very, very best friend. Perhaps maybe, I know, oh, uh, the altar sometimes is a forbidding place, it seems like. But maybe God bothered you today. And you understand this is something you need in your life, that you need to start applying the word. Maybe you just want to come and pray and say, hey, hey God, I'm a good listener. I'm not a very good applier. Would you bother me in the coming weeks so that you can work in my life and change my life? Perhaps God spoke to you about church membership, about joining our fellowship, recommitting your life, about building obedient baptism, about professing Christ publicly. However we can help you, that's what we wait to do. Because remember, application is everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing your word today. I really thank you for that. And God, I believe with all my heart that you've shown us something huge today. Father, you love these people. Father, as their pastor, I love them. And I so want, God, for us to walk in victory. For us to do magnificent works in our lives. To change the course of marriages and children's lives and careers. And God, you show me clearly it begins with application. Thank you that they come. Father, help us to apply. Have your way now in this invitation time. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen.